Today's message is very important for about 20% of you. I think it's very important for all of us, but for 20% of you, it could change your life. Because that's about statistically what happens in such times as this. I'm talking especially to those of you who perhaps are discounted by your family, uh, who have been written off by important people in your life, who maybe think that you've done something in life that was so stupid and so contaminating and so final that you feel like uh, you've got to be on the sidelines. I'm talking to you, the, to, to you who, uh, more than your friends realize, categorize yourselves as losers. This is a message for people who think they are losers, but really are not. And for the rest of you, for whom that's not true, you listen too, because there's a lot of people like this out there that really need your help. We're going to be looking at a fellow named Yiftach, Jephthah. I'm going to be turning to uh, Judges chapter 11. I hope that some of you have your Bibles uh, with you. And I'm going to read this story uh, piece by piece. Jephthah lived during the time of the judges, a time before Israel had a king, and a time when, uh, when the Jewish people were not doing so hot. Every man, over and over again in the book of Judges, we read this phrase, every man did what was right in his own eyes. Just people did, did their own thing. And uh, time and time again, Israel got themselves uh, in trouble. They just couldn't, couldn't really get much momentum going. They were in pretty sad shape. And uh, in the midst of this time, we come to this man named Yiftah, or Jephthah. I'm reading from uh, Judges chapter 11. I'll begin with verse 1 to 3. Now, Jephthah the Gileadite was a mighty warrior, but he was the son of a prostitute. Gilead was the father of Jephthah, and Gilead's wife also bore him sons. And when his wife's sons grew up, they drove Jephthah out and said to him, You shall not have an inheritance in our father's house, for you are the son of another woman. Then Jephthah fled from his brothers, lived in the land of Tob, and worthless fellows collected around Jephthah and went out with him. Uh, we're going to discover that Jephthah is a, uh, a gifted man, even though he's very stigmatized, uh, because he's living in a culture where your conditions of birth were very important. And the fact that he was a legitimate child, illegitimate child, not only that, but he was the son of a prostitute, it made him to be the world's biggest nobody. You understand? But even gifted people may judge themselves or be judged by others to be unfit candidates for serving God's great purposes. The text says he was a mighty warrior, and other men followed him. It says that he, uh, uh, he went to the land of Tob, and people began to gather around him. Have you ever known anybody like that, no matter where they go, people gather around them and, and follow them? I've known people like that. Moish Rosen, may he rest in peace, was like this. Moish Rosen had a stammer. He weighed 400 pounds. He was a slob. Everywhere he went, people followed him. It was a mysterious charisma that he had 
had a fatherly charisma, and he developed a following wherever he went. I've known other people like that. Mitch Glazer, who's a, a friend of Larry, Jeff, uh, Larry, Larry Feldman's. Mitch Glazer's another one. When I got called by the board of Chosen People Ministries, when they were looking for a new director, they asked if I had any recommendations. Uh, and I said that Mitch Glazer was the only person I could think of. That he's the kind of guy, wherever he goes, people follow him. And it's absolutely true. Wherever, wherever Mitch goes, he rises to the top, people follow him. Jephthah was the same way. Gifted man. But he had this major flaw. He was an illegitimate son of a prostitute. And his brother said, you're not going to split the inheritance with us, buddy. Get the heck out of here. And he did. And there he was in the land of Tob, which means good, which is kind of ironic. The land of Tov. He's off there, and certain worthless fellows gathered to him. He, 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 he had a gang. He developed a gang. Now, gang leaders can be people with real charisma, and he certainly was one of them. And then we find that a doorway of opportunity opens to this guy. This is somebody who could have easily said, my life is over. I don't have a chance. Uh, I'm illegitimate. The people of my own country have driven me out. My own brothers have driven me out. I'm just going to go sit under this bridge and drink myself to death. But that's not what he does. A doorway of opportunity often opens even for those who are discounted by others. Look at verse 4 to 6. After a time, I don't know how long that time was. He may have been out there in Tob for three years, for 10 years, for 20 years. We don't know. But after a time, the Ammonites made war against Israel. And when the Ammonites made war against Israel, the elders of Gilead went to bring Jephthah back from the land of Tob. Isn't that incredible? They went out to get this outcast because they'd heard about him. They'd heard that he was developing a whole following out there. The guy had leadership, leadership ability. He had charisma. He had it together. They said to Jephthah, Come, be our leader that we may fight against the Ammonites. The Ammonites. For many situations, we may, in many situations, we may from time to time be discarded, bypassed, ignored, and written off. I'm a talented man. I'm glad that Shoshana is here today. She's known me forever. I'm a talented man, multi-talented. But I get, I've gotten written off. I made a big mistake. I got older. <laughs> and when you get older, all of a sudden, you know, people come up to me and say, I hear you're retired. I feel like pulling out a gun and shooting him dead. I'll retire when I'm in a box. But people write you off. You know, some younger people treat me kind of like, thank you so much for what you've done. We'll take it from here. Uh, you're, you are no longer necessary. In many ways in life, we can get written off by people. But a doorway of opportunity often opens even for those who are discounted by others. That's what happens with Jephthah. I don't know how many years he waited out there in the wings, but he didn't waste his time. We should continue developing our skills by being faithful to our potential because there may come a time when even those who rejected us 
will come knocking on our door and say, we need your help. Verse 7 to 11, for God to use us requires that we supplement our giftedness with wisdom and availability. It is not enough to be gifted. There are many gifted people who never get anywhere in life because they rely on their gifts, but they don't develop them. They don't, they don't do their homework. They're talented, but the unemployment rolls are full of talented people. Verse 7 to 11. Let's see what happens here. When they come to him in verse 6, they say, Come, be our leader. We'll fight, fight against the Ammonites. Jephthah says this. He said to the elders of Gilead, Excuse me. Did you not hate me and drive me out from my father's house? Why have you come to me now when you're in distress? The elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, That's why we turn to you now, that you may go with us and fight against the Ammonites and be our head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. Now, notice Jephthah is smart. He says to him, excuse me, I, I seem to remember that you people drove me out of town. And he gets them to acknowledge, yes, we did, but we need your help. He goes on. He's really smart. He says to the elders of Gilead, if you bring me home again to fight against the Ammonites and the Lord gives them over to me, I'll be your head, right? You're going to make me the leader, right? And the elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, the Lord will be a witness between us if you do not do as you said. So Jephthah went with the elders of Gilead and the people made him head and leader over them. They went through a formal ceremony. He is working the situation. He gets them to say it, to promise it, to say it again, to formally install him as leader. And Jephthah spoke all these words before the Lord and Mizpah. They had a, a religious ceremony in which they ratified this. You see how smart he is. Uh, when the opportunity comes, he doesn't say, gee, I was never counting on this. Gee, I don't know what I'm going to do. No. He knows what to do. He takes advantage of the situation and works it. He's quite a leader. Number four, verse 12. There comes a time when we must stop clothing ourselves in an expired self-image and put on a new sense of self. There comes a time when we must stop clothing ourselves in an expired self-image and put on a new sense of self. Look what happens in verse 12. This is an incredible verse. Then Jephthah sent messengers to the king of the Ammonites and said, what do you have against me that you have come to me to fight against my land? This guy's not conducting himself as some illegitimate son. Son, We have a word for that, you know, which I, I'm not going to use here. But he, he, he was the outcast. He was Mr. Nobody. Now he says to the king of the Ammonites, he says, 
what did I do to you? What's going on that you come against me and against my land? He has a different sense of self. You see that? He's functioning now as the leader of this people with dignity. Some of you got off rail somewhere in your life. And you've never gotten over the mistake you made. Some of you have family members who treat you with condescension, with rejection. I know a man in Pasadena like this. Uh, both he and his sister are adopted. And he's always treated by, by his family like Mr. Nobody. He's 60 years old now. He still tends to see himself that way. It's a terrible thing. But Jephthah does not make that mistake. He puts off this old sense of self. He's no longer the exile out there in the land of Tob. He's no longer the guy that got driven out of town. He's no longer the illegitimate son that got disowned by the family. He's no longer the one that everybody said, we don't want you here, get the hell out of here. That's not who he is. He is the leader of the people, and he goes to the king of the Ammonites and says, what do you think you're doing coming against me and my people and my land? He's got a different sense of self. We read the same thing in the New Testament, by the way. It's, uh, 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 it should be familiar to you. There are many passages that talk about clothing ourselves with a different sense of identity. Here's one of them from Ephesians chapter 4. We're told, put off your old self, which according to your former manner of life, uh, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Put off this old sense of who you are and be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on a new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. Uh, you're, no, you're, you're no longer to feel like a failure. You're no longer to feel like a reject. You're no longer to feel these ways, but you, whoever you are, you are forgiven, you are filled, and you are just fine because of what God has done for you in the Messiah. So I'm talking to that 20% of you from this message is like life from the dead. You are forgiven, you are filled, and you are just fine. But it's up to you to take off the garments of sorrow and put on the garments of praise. Do it today. Let's go on. Number five. We must prepare now for doors of opportunity later. Jephthah is going to go through an interaction now with the king of the Ammonites. And you're going to see Jephthah has done his homework. He knows the whole history of the Ammonites and the people of Israel. Uh, I'm just amazed at the guy. Here's a guy who was a thug sent to a foreign land, illegitimate child. He's out there, but he's not just cooling his jets. He's got his smarts. He's still reading up. He's still studying up. He's, and when the opportunity comes, he's ready. And look at this. L listen, look at this amazing interaction in verse 13. This is a rather long passage, but you'll forgive me. The king of the Ammonites answered the messengers of Jephthah, Israel, on coming up from Egypt, 
took away my land from the Arnon to the Yabok and to the Jordan. Now therefore restore it peaceably. He's saying, uh, you guys, you stole my land when you came up out of Egypt. Now, if Jephthah didn't know his history, he'd say, gee, I'll have to check into that. That's not what he says. Verse 14, Jephthah again sent messages to the king of the Ammonites, and he said to them, thus says Jephthah, Israel did not take away the land of Moab or the land of the Ammonites. And when they came from Egypt, Egypt went through the wilderness to the Red Sea and came to Kadesh. Israel then sent messengers to the king of Edom, saying, please let us pass through your land. But the king of Edom would not let us, would not listen. And they sent also to the king of Moab, and he would not consent. So Israel remained at Kadesh. So he knows the whole history. It goes on. He says, then they journeyed through the wilderness, went around the land of Edom, the land of Moab, and arrived at the east side of the land of Moab, and camped on the other side of the Arnon. But they did not enter the territory of Moab, for the Arnon was the boundary of Moab. Israel then sent messengers to Sihon, the king of Amorites, king of Heshbon. Israel said to him, please let us pass through your land and your country, to our country. But Sihon would not trust Israel because to pass through his territory. So Sihon gathered all his people together and encamped at Yahaz and fought with Israel. And the Lord, the God of Israel, gave Sihon and all his people into the hand of Israel, and they defeated them. So Israel took possession of the land of all the Amorites who inhabited their country, and they took possession of all the land of the Amorites from the Arnon to the Yabak and from the wilderness to the Jordan. And so then the Lord your God the Lord, the God of Israel, dispossessed the Amorites from before the people of Israel. And are you to take possession of them? Will you not possess what Chemosh, your God, gives you to possess? And all that of the Lord our God has dispossessed before us, we will possess. Now, are you any better than Balak, the king of Tipor, king of Moab? Did you ever contend against Israel, or did he ever go to war with them? Did he ever contend with Israel? go to war against them? He's saying, Look, the king of Moab didn't do this. What are you doing? While Israel lived at Heshbon and its villages and in Arnon and its villages and to all the cities that are on the banks of the Arnon 300 years, why did you not deliver them within that time? I therefore have not sinned against you and you do me wrong by making war on me. The Lord, the judge, decide this day between the people of Israel and the people of Ammon. Now, that's a heck of a long story. He's got all those details. He didn't make that up. He had done his homework. And we come, therefore, to that fifth point. We must prepare now for doorways of opportunity later. When that doorway of opportunity opens up, it's good for you to be ready. When the time comes, and, and when a time came and all the diplomatic opportunities were exhausted, then Israel had to go fight against the Ammonites because they were insisted on being unreasonable. And we read about that in the next verse, which would be verse 28. But the king of the Ammonites did not listen to the words of Jephthah that he sent to him. But Jephthah has done his, done his homework. Things were very straight. And he didn't let somebody else reinvent history. There's a term called gaslighting. Has anybody ever heard the term gaslighting? I've been gaslighted in my life. I used to know a person, I only realized recently the person used to gaslight me. A person who gaslights you is a person who 
when he talks to you or she talks to you, he or she reinvents the history you have with them in order to make you think you're crazy about what you think. You understand? They reinvent it. I've been through that. It's a, and if you don't have confidence in yourself, you will get gaslighted by some people. Some people are really good at doing that. I don't know why they do it. I don't know if they do it consciously or it's just their personality. But, but uh, they gaslight you. And the only defense against somebody who you have a, a bone of contention with, the only defense against their reinventing the history between you and therefore making you feel wrong when you were right all along is you got to do your homework. You got to know the history so that when they come against you, you say, uh-uh, 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 uh-uh. That's not the way it was. You remember this? You remember that? You remember the other thing? And they will probably not admit it. But at least you will not be confused. Capiche? Okay. Now we come to the conclusion of all of this drama. Jeff is a great guy. It's the rags to riches story. But then he makes a terrible mistake. We must be careful of success. Even wise and gifted people need to be vigilant about making dumb mistakes. And Jephthah makes a dumb mistake here. And frankly, when people think of Jephthah who read the Bible, they think of his dumb mistake. They forget about his tremendous giftedness, his tremendous skill, his tremendous seichel, and he's only remembered for his dumb mistake. And that's unfortunate. It's unfair. But it could happen to you. It could happen to me. Let's look at his dumb mistake. Verse 29 to 31, and then 34 to 35. Verse 29. Then the Spirit of the Lord was upon Jephthah, or Jephthah, and he passed through Gilead and Manasseh and passed on to Mitzpah of Gilead. And from Mitzpah of Gilead, he passed on to the Ammonites with whom he's going to fight. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord and said, If you will give the Ammonites into my hand, then whatever comes out from the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the Ammonites shall be the Lord's, and I'll offer it for a burnt offering. He makes this stupid vow. Now, in the Bible, making a vow to God is about as serious as it gets. Maybe in our culture, a person can say, well, I didn't really mean it. You never see anybody saying that in the Bible because that's not the worldview. When you make a vow, you've got to keep your vow to God. Otherwise, you're trashing God's name. Verse 34 and 35. After the battle, which, uh, which Jephthah does win, verse 34 then Jephthah came to his home in Mitzvah, and behold, his daughter came out to meet him with tambourines and with dances. She was his only child. Besides her, he had neither son nor daughter. And as soon as he saw her, he tore his clothes and says, Alas, my daughter, you have brought me very low, and you have become the cause of great trouble to me, for I have opened my mouth for Lord 
and I cannot take back the vow. Now, there's a lot of discussion about what happens. Does he offer her as a burnt offering? Some people say yes. Some people say no. She goes and she dances in the mountains with her friends for a while. She says, let me go mourn my virginity. Apparently, at the very least, he vowed her to God in such a way that he foreclosed her future options in life. Perhaps she became like a dedicated offering to God. She was not going to marry and have a family. He gave her life away in some way with his big mouth. The lesson is this, that even very smart people, very gifted people, very successful people, even people who started out bad and went from ranks to riches, be careful that you don't get so full of yourself that you get cute with God. You ever known anybody that got cute with God? I have. There have been times in my life when I got cute with God, and it cost me a lot. Don't do it. So I want to just close by giving you a few examples. First, some gifted people who got too smart for themselves and wrecked their lives. This shouldn't be too hard for you to think. Think about O.J. Simpson. O.J. Simpson used to be everybody's hero. Uh, He couldn't go anywhere in Los Angeles without people running after him, looking for his autograph, just wanted to be seen with him. I I met him once in an airport. He was shorter than I thought he was. I'm six feet four, six five. He was about six feet, maybe six and a half. But he was, he, he, uh, all the women loved him. All the men loved him. He was just Mr. Success, Mr. Charisma. Now, there's going to be two kinds of people in this room. Some of you believe that he murdered his wife and some of you don't. That's, that's not the point. After what happened when Nicole Brown Simpson and Ron Goldman... He gets declared uh, not guilty in court. Not guilty. Remember how astounded most of us were at that point? O.J. Simpson himself was astounded. Johnny Cochran was surprised. He gets off. He gets a second lease on life. Then what does the dope do? He goes to Las Vegas with a couple of heist guys, and he tries to rob some people of some souvenirs. And he is sitting in prison now. He's an old man. His body is wrecked from all the, the, the hitting and the, the, the punishment of playing football. He's, he's, you know, can you think of a more tragic case? How about, how about uh, uh, Bill Cosby? Bill Cosby used to be everybody's favorite guy. Now a lot of the places that have given him degrees have withdrawn the degrees. It's sad. It's sad. Tiger Woods. Tiger Woods. At one time, he redefined 
uh, success in sports. He was so rich you couldn't count his money. And he was getting richer and richer and richer. He was so far on top of things. And then it all went away. What about Bernie Madoff? Bernie Madoff. Bernie Madoff was the chairman of the board of Yeshiva University because he was so loaded you couldn't count his money. But he was a... He had all this opportunity, but he was a con artist. He robbed people of his own synagogue. Uh, they invested over a billion dollars of people in his own synagogue, went down the toilet because he got cute. He wrecked uh, the, uh, the nonprofit organization of Elie Wiesel, went broke because of what Bernard Madoff did with their money. Uh, his own son committed suicide. His wife uh, divorced him. Another uh, child changed their name. Do you know anybody who's more disgraced in American culture than Bernie Madoff? These are all people who started out well with every advantage, but they got cute. God save us from being cute. But I also want to finish with a good story, a happy story. And for this, I'm going to come down here because I want to be closer to you. I want to read to you about a rags-to-riches story as an inspiration to you that whoever you are, wherever you are in life, don't write yourself off. I want to talk to you about R.K. Rowling. R.K. Rowling is the lady who wrote the Harry Potter series. Let me tell you a little bit about her. Look at the Wikipedia article about her. It'll blow your mind. Here's a little bit of it. You may not know very much about her. She was working as a researcher and a bilingual secretary for Amnesty International when she was on a train from Manchester to London. Shoshana, about how long was that train ride take? What did she say? Two or three hours. But she got caught on the train, and the train um, had problems. She was on the train for four hours waiting. And while that train was delayed in 1990, she got this idea of writing a story about a boy who goes to wizard school. The seven-year period that followed was rather tragic. Her mother died after 10 years with multiple sclerosis. She had a child uh, with a man she met in Portugal, but she had to divorce him because he was abusive. And then he followed her back to England, and she had to get a restraining order against him. Um, seven years, so seven years after graduating from university, she saw herself as a failure. Her marriage had failed. She had no job. She had a dependent child. But she described her failure as a kind of liberation, allowing her to focus on writing. I've already failed. The only place I can go is up, you know? During this period, she was diagnosed with clinical depression. She contemplated suicide. Her illness inspired the characters known as Dementors, which she speaks about in her third book. 
She signed up for welfare benefits, and she described her economic status at that time as being, quote, as poor as it is possible to be in modern Britain without being homeless. She was at the bottom. But she worked on her book in her spare time when the baby was asleep. Whenever she could, she worked. The first book, Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone, was published in Britain in 1997. The initial run was 1,000 copies. They sent 500 copies to libraries because they didn't expect the book to sell very much. The publisher told her, look, you better get another job because children's books don't sell well. So there were 1,000 copies in the first print. Those copies now... Uh, will cost you about 16,000 to 25,000 pounds. 16,000 pounds is about uh, uh, 30% more, is about $21,000. 25,000 pounds is about $31,000, just for one of those books now. But the publisher had said to her, uh, you know, you better get another job because you're going to go broke with this. Five months later, the book won its first award, a Nestle Smarties Book Prize. The novel won the British Book Award, the Children's Book Award that year, etc., etc., etc. Then the American Publishing Company, Scholastic Books. When I was a kid, we used to read Scholastic Books in junior high school. A little pulp, the cheapest possible print in the world. Scholastic Books, 12 publishers didn't want it. Scholastic Books bid for it. What do you think they paid for the rights of Harry Potter? $105,000. That's what they paid. She says she almost passed out. She said, I nearly died when I heard that they were going to give $105,000. Because for her, that was, that was Disneyland. She is now the United Kingdom's best-selling living, best living author with sales in excess of 238 million pounds, which is about, uh, eight, about th over $300 million is the sales. The 2016 Sunday Times Rich List estimates her fortune to be about 600 million pounds, which is roughly 800 million dollars. She's close to a billionaire. Some people say she is a billionaire. All of this happened in five years. After she was so poor uh, that uh, uh, she said, I was about as low as you could go. Time magazine named her a runner-up in 2007 for the person of the year, etc., etc. Harry Potter is now a global brand worth an estimated $15 billion. And she has rights on all these things. She owns rights. <laughs> you know. And the, the last four Harry Potter books have consecutively set records as the fastest-selling books in history. Her last four books. The last one, the first day it came out, it sold 11 million copies in 24 hours in the UK and in the United States. The series, totaling 4,195 pages, has been translated in whole or in part into 65 languages. Not bad. Now, am I saying... You're the next R.K. Rowling? No, I'm the next R.K. Rowling. 
But I'm not saying that you are. But I'm saying she's a lesson to us. She was at the bottom of the barrel in so many ways. Her marriage had ended. Her husband was, was, she had to protect herself from him. She had a child, a dependent child. She was as poor as you could be in Great Britain without living on the street. She had clinical depression. Uh, her mother had died. Everything was going to hell in a handbasket. But she worked on the book. She had only published a story before then. She was not like she was an author who had published a bunch of books before. She had not. But she didn't only just grab the gold ring. She grabbed the whole carousel. So the lesson for you is if you think of yourself as fundamentally a loser, if you think of yourself as fundamentally a person who has made some mistakes that you can't recover from, realize you're a prisoner of your own concepts. God has given you a new identity. You need to put off the old sense of self and put on the new sense of self. And while you're in the wings, continue developing your gifts, your talents, what you have to offer. Because when opportunity comes knocking, that's, the time, that's not the time for you to prepare. Capish? Okay, stand up. We do Jephthah a disservice when we uh, only think of him in terms of his stupid mistake with the vow he made. But sadly, when people make mistakes, they, become, they get labeled. And you've been, some of you have been labeled by your family because you made mistakes. Guess what? We all make mistakes. I'm thinking of uh, uh, the former... I cannot remember his name now, the former pastor of Westminster Chapel in Great Britain, before Martin Lloyd-Jones, uh, who said about King David, he said, the important thing about King David was not that he fell, but which direction he was facing when he got up. And the important thing for you is not your failures, but what, what direction are you facing now? So receive God's blessing, and mine too. May the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob bless you and keep you. May the God of Sarah and Rivka, Rechem and Leah, cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ cause his face to shine upon you and give you peace. We ask in the name of Yeshua, who loved us, who gave himself for us, and who sent his spirit to inhabit us and transform our lives and the world. Amen? Amen. Amen. Shabbat Shalom.